Hey everyone, thanks for joining us. This is the Anesthesia Learn on the Go podcast series from the University of Kentucky Department of Anesthesiology. In these episodes, we will provide a high-yield clinical review of some of the common topics encountered by anesthesiologists at all levels. The following episode will be recorded by a member of our department at UK. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at UK Anesthesia and subscribe to the University of Kentucky Department of Anesthesiology YouTube channel for our video cast. Now fire up your headphones, relax, and let's talk anesthesia. Hi, my name is Dr. Jasmine Chara, and today I'll be discussing intraoperative hyperglycemia, the diagnosis and management. So why do we monitor for intraoperative hyperglycemia or perioperative hyperglycemia? That's because it's reported in 20 to 40% of patients undergoing general surgery. There is a clear association that perioperative hyperglycemia causes adverse clinical outcomes. That's because elevated blood glucose levels can impair neutrophil function, cause overproduction of reactive oxygen species, free fatty acids, inflammatory mediators. These pathophysiological changes cause direct cellular damage, vascular and immune dysfunction. There are reports that um, HbA1c of greater than 8% preoperatively was an independent risk factor for wound complications in patients with type 2 diabetes undergoing total knee arthroplasty. In our pre-op clinic, HbA1c of more than 10% is a clear indication to refer to the diabetes clinic and, if possible, defer surgery. The stress of surgery and anesthesia alters the finely regulated balance between hepatic glucose production and utilization of glucose in the peripheral tissues. Increased production of counter-regulatory hormones that occurs during surgery include catecholamines, cortisol, glucagon, and growth hormone, and excess result in inflammatory cytokine releases, including tumor necrosis factor alpha, interleukin-6. Cortisol increases hepatic glucose production, stimulates protein catabolism, promotes gluconeogenesis, and this causes elevated blood glucose levels. Surging catecholamines also increase glucon, glucagon secretion and inhibit, inhibit insulin release from pancreatic beta cells. The increase in stress hormones causes more lipolysis and high free fatty acid concentrations. These have been shown to inhibit insulin-stimulated glucose uptake. Evidence also suggests that TNF-alpha interferes with the synthesis or translocation of the GLUT4 transporter, and this reduces glucose uptake in peripheral tissue. These processes result in altered state of insulin action, leading to a relative state of insulin resistance, which is more pronounced on the first preoperative day and, but, and persists, though, for 9 to 21 days following surgery. Some patients with hyperglycemia have a known diagnosis of diabetes, but 12 to 30 percent of patients who experience intra or postoperative hyperglycemia don't have a history of diabetes, and this can be called stress hyperglycemia state. 60% of patients who are admitted with new hyperglycemia do get a confirmed diagnosis of diabetes at one year. Measuring HbA1c in patients with hyperglycemia in hospitalization can provide an opportunity to differentiate between stress hyperglycemia and the state of diabetes which was undiagnosed previously. The Endocrine Society recommends that those people who have hyperglycemia and an HbA1c of 6.5% or greater can be diagnosed as being diabetic. So in terms of um, management, um, some points are that the ERAS protocol, enhanced recovery after surgery protocol, um, has the carbohydrate-rich drink for two hours, up to two hours before surgery, 
Um, this helps in hyperglycemia control because it av avoids a catabolic state developing, um, which develops during starvation. And this increases insulin sensitivity normally. Thus, by giving the carbohydrate-rich um, drink, you're at lower risk of having post-operative hyperglycemia. Treating elevated blood glucose levels have been reported to decrease morbidity, but an intensive insulin treatment protocol results in higher incidence of hypoglycemia and increased mortality compared to moderate glucose control. For one, for example, there was a glucocabbage study which randomized patients as diabetic and non-diabetic and with intensive control between 100 and 140 milligrams per deciliter um, or with conventional glucose control where the glucose was kept between 141 and 180 milligrams per deciliter. And this was in patients following coronary bypass surgery. There was a significant difference um, between uh, the risk of hypoglycemic episodes, but there was no significance developed, no significance difference in other complications, including wound infection, pneumonia, bacteremia, respiratory failure, acute kidney injury, or cardiovascular complications. So there's recommendations from the Society of Ambulatory Anesthesia to keep the blood glucose less than 180. There's also recommendations from the Clinical Endocrinologists Association of America, which recommends a target glucose of 140 to 180 in all critically ill patients. Perioperative hyperglycemia protocol um, does, there is one at UK, which was developed in 2021. It is available on the CareWeb website. Um, if you look under order set protocols, um, the tab, and then um, go to periop medication protocols and guidelines, um, then you can find the UK periop hyperglycemic control protocol. So this is to help give you the algorithms to decide which patients to test and how to treat them. Um, so first up, um, basically, who do we get a um, glucose check on when they come to holding? So they recommend that any patient with known diabetes, a BMI greater than 28, or those on prednisone of greater than or equal to 20 milligrams a day should get a glucose check um, in holding preoperatively. Um, if, if you have known diabetes, then in part of your pre-op assessment, you should check um, what medications they're on, the timing of their most recent dose, and if they've had an A1C in the last 90 days and what it was. Um, so in terms of the general target is um, at UK recommended for 141 to 180 milligrams per deciliter. Um, and it doesn't really matter what their um, normal glucose is because there's no evidence that keeping it in this mid-range level has any poor outcomes. So I mean, if patients normally say their glucose is 250 or something like that, um, aiming for this more um, conservative 141 to 180 um, does improve um, outcomes and hasn't been shown to increase risk of hypoglycemia. So in terms of how you're going to manage it, um, if there's a type 1 diabetic, they should definitely get an insulin drip and um, their, insulin sh their glucose should be checked um, perioperatively every hour. Um, Postoperatively, a diabetes consult should be done to um, help manage the diabetes. Um, if their glucose is greater than 180, 
um, start the drip um, for insulin at um, and the rate is the fasting blood glucose over 100 and this is the rate of insulin per hour if the um, this is the same for the drip rate for type 2 diabetics as well um, so in terms of um, whether you should when you should start an insulin drip um, it should be first line for all cases that are more than two hours or any case where you suspect significant fluid shifts, vasopressor use, hemorrhage or hypovolemia. Um, uh, just giving uh, intermittent boluses of insulin can be considered in cases that are less than two hours. This should be done intravenously and the glucose should be still checked every hour. Um, and if the patient is has required more than two boluses, or has required two boluses, then um, conversion to an IV insulin drip is recommended. In terms of the boluses, if your glucose is between 180 and 200, you should give two units, 200 to 300, give three units, three to 400, four units, and five, four to 500, five units. Um, so the continuous infusion, like we said, it's the fasting blood glucose over 100 should be your dose to in initiate the infusion at for insulin um, and titrate with the algorithm, which is a part of the um, protocol at UK. And do not stop the insulin drip at the end of the case and allow the PACQ to titrate it um, either down or off. Um, in terms of um, intermittent boluses, you should get order for a post-op glucose check in recovery if you've required to give any boluses um, and again if it's still high in PACU they can consider starting an insulin drip. Patients who are on insulin pumps um, again um, you should uh, this should be part of your pre-op assessment to work out how much insulin they're requiring per day what's their basal rate um, and you can decide whether you're going to continue the pump or not. Um, we usually discontinue the pump if the case is going to be for three hours or more or you're expecting significant fluid shifts or vasopressor use or if the drip is a part in the way of the surgical field. If this is the case, then you should start an insulin drip um, and, again, monitor the glucose every hour. If you decide to continue the subcutaneous drip, um, I mean the pump, then you should provide... Um, this should be when cases are less than three hours and the pump doesn't impede the surgical site. Um, you should be able to troubleshoot the pump though um, because if they get hypoglycemic, you should be able to turn it off or down um, and you should still be checking the glucose level perioperatively. So if a patient's glucose drops below 50, um, um, you should give them 25 grams of dextrose and check again the glucose in 15 minutes and treat it again with a 25 grams of dextrose if it hasn't gone above 100. If the glucose is 51 to 70, then you should give 12 and a half grams of dextrose and again recheck in 15 minutes and give another dose if it hasn't gone above 100. Um, and then the alcohol, uh, algorithm describes um, in terms of how you would um, change or bolus the drip through the case. So in conclusion, um, Perioperative hyperglycemia control is very important because um, diagnosing diabetes in our population where it's so common is an important um, uh, uh, perioperative management goal. Um, there's also a short-term risk of um, 
infection uh, at the wound or um, pneumonias um, and also uh, identifying high-risk patients um, to avoid any long-term complications of diabetes is an important goal of management as well. Thank you. Hey, everyone. Thanks so much for listening. We really hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you have ideas for future podcasts, please reach out to us via email at learnonthego at uky.edu. Don't forget to follow us on our social media accounts as well on Instagram and Twitter, UK Anesthesia. From all of us at UK Department of Anesthesiology, have a great day.